Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grow With Us. My name is Evan Barton, and I'm your host who helps create conversations with the innovators and leaders of a growing tech center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The Grow With Us podcast highlights in Tulsa Talent's work, abridging Tulsa talent with tech opportunities, and the revolutionary work around the city. In Tulsa's mission is to connect talented individuals and companies to stimulate economic growth in Tulsa and to create more prosperous communities across the region. Each episode, Grow With Us discusses the growth of opportunities, the growth of communities striving for change, or the tech and innovation that is changing the landscape of Tulsa. On this episode of Grow With Us, we are in conversation with Jasmine Toby, culture and community conductor at the Fancy Hippie Group. We discuss Jasmine's work on the candidate preparation section of in Tulsa's website titled Make Your Career Move, the importance of DEI in the corporate world, and the difference between assimilation and acclimation in the work environment. Jazzy, it's so good to have you on this episode of Grow Yay! With Us. I'm so happy to be here. I can't wait for what we're going to talk about. We have so many great things to discuss. Um, you're truly one of my favorite people to talk Yeehaw! to. <laughs> I love it. But Jazzy, Jazzy has been um, in my life for, oh my gosh, I am trying to think exactly when. Did you... A little sick over six months. Six months or so, May yeah. or so. Mm-hmm. We immediately had a connection when um, the the rainbows aligned. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, but I'm really excited to introduce Jazzy and allow Jazzy to introduce herself to our Grow With Us audience um, and learn a little bit more about you. So go ahead and tell us your story in whatever way you feel comfortable, Jazzy. Okay, cool. So I like to tell my story as a mixture of happenstance and intentionality. I started out my life as a chef. As a kid, I knew I was going to grow up and have a restaurant. Thus, I got my culinary arts degree. But it wasn't enough money for me. So I decided to move forward with getting my bachelor's of science degree in hotel and restaurant administration. But it wasn't enough me time Mm. for me. So then I moved on to work in the industry struggle. I worked for Job Corps for a little bit okay. and learned that corporate America was not enough identity for me. As a Black, Latina, queer, adopted, neurodivergent person, mm-hmm. I had too many identities that I wanted to express. And being in corporate America, corporate offices, generally the world headquarters of the the places that I've worked, Mm -hmm. it wasn't enough opportunity for me to identify myself. And when I did identify myself, there wasn't enough community, enough belonging for myself. Thus, I was an unhappy Jazzy. So boom, I quit and I moved back to Tulsa. (laughs) So now we have uh, the community and culture building that I love to do. I'm working with in Tulsa and I'm also working with the Restorative Justice Institute of Oklahoma. Uh, focused on restorative justice and how we can use that as a counteract for actual, like the regular justice system, yeah. the criminal justice system. And I'm really happy. I love the way you frame that. That's a, a really helpful framing device to kind of think about. I had this thing in my life and there was something lacking and and what was it? And I'm going to go find it. And just because you abandon one path doesn't mean you're going to find everything that you were missing from the other path and in, in the new one. And and the cool thing about it is all of my culinary art skills from being a restaurant manager and being a chef, they make me even better at working with corporate America, yeah. being a multitasker, 
because I, I was a mom the entire time and a student for the majority of the time. Yeah. But when I got into corporate America, so many people were like, oh, I remember working in restaurants and I know what skills you come to the table with. Yeah. And thus I climbed the corporate ladder a little quicker than than some. And and yeah, it's it's no joke, the restaurant world. Like I had a brief stint <laughs> <laughs> bartending. Um and yeah, it kind of proved a little bit like what you said, like the ability to multitask, the ability to handle customers that were going to have a complaint, like stakeholder management is something I, like a word I've been learning the past couple of weeks. Perfect and example. Learning about it. No, I, I really appreciate you telling your story in that way. And I, I'm I'm so curious about your restorative justice work, too. Yeah. I, I would love to talk more about that. It, it kind of sounds like um, one part of your story that really catalyzed a big change for you was moving back to Tulsa. Ooh. So kind of tell us a little bit about your relationship with Tulsa and how it's changed. So I came up with this great depiction. Um, for those that know me, they know that I love mismatching. Um, and so I describe my relationship with Tulsa as a little polka dotted and a little le leopard striped. Mm. When I was growing up, I couldn't understand why I was here. <laughs> I actually moved away more than 10 years ago and wanted nothing to do with Tulsa. I used to tell people, I will not move back to Tulsa unless I am the queen of the universe. And what happened was after my last corporate America role, being the global DEI leader for a private corporation, I was burnt and I said, I need to go home and get refilled. Yeah. And so now I was able to come back to my son, my mom, my sister, my other few family members. I'm a very small family. I'm thankful to be reunited and back in a, a community that it is accepting of my queerness, accepting mm -hmm. of my experiences, accepting of my color blocking, my pattern blocking, and literally all the things that I come to the table with. Yeah. Tulsa, it still has a lot of hurdles, still has a lot of opportunities, but I am thankful to be in the community space helping to connect people to opportunities and to each other and really trying to make this place a better place yeah I, oh i so noticed like that I, I i would say like the impact of expressing your identity and not just one way and i would say and i hope you can share the sentiment with me as as co-workers that in tulsa but like <laughs> we work at a place that allows us to do that in a meaningful way not just that's right one version of it one time we had like a little queer barbecue right, where we were right. all in someone's <laughs> backyard talking about drag race yeah. talking about like and the fact that you can have that camaraderie and that community with folks that you work with on a daily basis like right. it, it kind of just it makes the work more impactful when it's you're able to It's such a positive thing to come to work and not be afraid of microaggressions mm -hmm. um, and of too many questions about who and why you present the way you do. Yeah. Um, we do a really good job at Intalsa of focusing on the work mm -hmm. um, and trying to make sure that that is at the center of what we do. Yeah. We have a, a lot of great relationships too, but we do focus on the work. Yeah, and I think that I, I love that we're able to uh, do that in our work, but also see that in other communities outside of work too, because there are, there are spaces where you know, we're a, we're a town in the South, the Southern Plains. <laughs> we're in we're in Oklahoma. Still debatable, but yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, you you could name it anything, but um, we are in a place where a lot of people that are on these coastal cities would not uh, 
not ever think that they're accepting places right. um, for our identities. And I, I love that I am in a town and in a, a work environment and in a community of folks where I'm, I can confidently say that I've never been microaggressed against, um, I guess, in, the, in recent history. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I would say maybe like the past year or two, but you know, we were also inside for a lot of that. The The strides that I've seen have been really positive. And I, I love that. I love that you noticed that about Tulsa when you, when you were able to come back. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah. I may not ever be like a fan of everything, but I am really a fan of our people. My community is identified in so many ways, and I'm really thankful that Tulsa is attempting to allow others to identify in their different ways as well. That's so important. And it relates a lot to, I think, what work we do do together in Tulsa, which is a a lot about creating opportunities for folks. And I I think that an opportunity is so, a, a work opportunity is so important to identity. You can connect. We're talking about how much it means to us that we have this opportunity to be ourselves. And that's the confidence we try to instill in in candidates that we work with. I'd love to kind of talk a little bit more about your work at Tulsa. And, Let's you, do and it. you've done some great stuff for us um, <laughs> as you. it relates to candidate preparation and for a new career. Can you tell us a little bit about that work and, and how that's um, changed over the past couple months? Oh, well, this changed uh, over <laughs> the few months. I'll say that I was started, I was brought in to Tulsa to work on candidate readiness, which is really the understanding of what a person brings to the table, soft skills, technical skills, and then all those other boxes that they happen to check. And what my first project ended up being was what I like to call digestible docs. I'm a very big fan of alliteration. Mm -hmm. And so culinary. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And in Tulsa had this massive, massive candidate preparation document. I believe it was 108 pages of golden glory. I have literally talked about it positively every time I've talked about it. But no candidate is going to look at any part of 108 pages, even being PowerPoint. And so my first thought was, how can we make this more palatable? How can we make this more usable for the candidate? And then as we began the work, um, essentially I was able to, with little or no investment, because in Tulsa folks didn't know me, but I said, who's going to raise your hand and help me out with this project? And I had about eight people that came to the team and helped me to pump out these documents, really put their own little glitter, um, their own little spin on what candidates need to know about these different topics. And we accomplished it in about a couple of months. And then we finally got them reformatted to where they now live on the Intalsa Career website. And so essentially the documents, these digestible docs were created to give candidates content, then give them the opportunity to act on what they learned about in the content or have a conversation with their talent partner about the content. So really making it more of a useful tool instead of it just being something that lives in our own drive, in our own head. Yeah, and I, and I want to highlight what those content areas are because I do th- I do think that they really are kind of end to end what all you need to be ready for when you're looking for a new job and for a new opportunity. Which you know, with a lot of recent current events, like 
this is a place that a lot of people are finding themselves in right now with big tech layoffs and mm-hmm. I, and mm-hmm. as well as just the job market being really tight. But those opportunity or those topics topics for the content were resumes and an ATS, which is an applicant tracking system, your LinkedIn profile, what is your personal brand, engaging with companies, an elevator pitch before the interview, during the interview. Asking interview questions, virtual interviewing, and after the interview. So yeah, all of these really are end-to-end. I mean, it's taking you all the way through the interview process, how to do it virtually, how to do it um, in person, because obviously that is an element of a lot of these, the new way to find a job and a lot of hiring processes. And it's one of those things, it's like a it's like a small win for our um, organization, but unfortunately, our population is growing more and more okay with not talking or touching people. Yeah. And so with these documents, a candidate can get something and make action without ever talking to a person. Mm-hmm. Some of those documents have articles already embedded in them so that you can go ahead and get even more deep dive into that without talking to a talent partner. Yes. And, and it's something that we really need to be mindful of as we continue to help people with their careers because they are little to less interested in physically talking to a person. They would Mm -hmm. much rather text or look it up on the internet themselves and go on about their day. Um, That's an opportunity for us too. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because I I think subconsciously I might have also fallen into that in some things. <laughs> there are certain things that I'm like, I need to talk to someone right, about this, right. you know. But that job application process and, and looking for a new job does seem like one that's so intensely personal that like mm-hmm. you might not know if anybody will ever relate or like have your ex- exact career path and mm-hmm. how do you apply those things. So the opportunity to engage both ways is super important. Absolutely. So another element of uh, what you do in your professional life is a lot of amazing work in the DEI space, which for our Grow With Us listeners, if you're unfamiliar, stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, And so I I really love to talk to you, Jazzy, about what does the journey of a company's DEI or culture look like, or how do you help a company develop an effective DEI and culture strategy? I I think it's something we can have a really great conversation about. Absolutely. So... This is one of those things that, again, like I talked about it with my story, happenstance versus intentional. I never set out to be a DEI leader. I actually was kind of like adverse to it, but I just so happened to be one of those shiny brown people that worked at a largely white company. Mm -hmm. And I got in good with someone that that realized I had a great skill for talking to people that I don't know. Yeah. And thus, I became the DEI champion. My first large company was Hertz. And at that company, we started our DEI work with a simple facilitation focused on implicit bias. Mm-hmm. And from there, uh, we ended up canceling the program because the corporation didn't quite believe in the method that it was being delivered. Thus, People were without information, but still hungry for information. Yeah. And fortunately, 
they still knew how to reach out to me. And so <laughs> I, even though it wasn't my job at Hertz, it was still my job and I was still able to travel the country helping facilitate this. And over the years, I grew more in this work by doing my own research. I always, I'm known for saying, give it a good Google. Mm-hmm. Then I did a couple of certifications. I really read a lot of books and I realized how it related to my actual corporate work of engagement. Um, Diversity and inclusion is so close to the art of engaging employees that I had to dive into it. And it was actually using engagement was how I was able to kind of hide that I was doing DEI work at Hertz and other companies because they there wasn't an appetite for it. And so I just finished my my most recent certification. And this one's my last one. I'm really like <laughs> You're done. I'm really done. Uh, so I was with the Society for Diversity and it is a certified diversity professional. And it is an amazing program the test was very hard (laughs) I I am thankful for the several study sessions that they offered but it really helped to reignite my passion for helping companies on their DEI journey with companies and their DEI journey let's take a moment for that because sometimes they're doing it because it's a trend and I'm cool with that I'm a proponent for fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. I don't care what got you in the door of DEI or just D and I. Yeah, Because most companies are still (laughs) stuck on what is diversity really? Exactly. They're still on Um, the D. Yeah, they're still stuck (laughs) on the D. Um, And so when I start working with a company... When I was in corporate America, it was my it became my job. My last couple of positions were specifically DEI. And so I first look at what is the company's size and try to understand what are their overall goals as a company. Mm-hmm. Um, with my last company, it it had four different industries that it was in: manufacturing, wow. engineering, science, and pet food. Oh wow. A gamut. So Mm -hmm. you're going to be dealing with a different type of customer every single day. They're also dealing with different type of suppliers every day. So what I've always advised companies to do is take it easy. Take it slow. There's nothing wrong with figuring out one initiative and literally pondering on it. Because everything you see in the articles and the newspapers is not going to work for you. Yeah. Clearly, it ain't working for some of these companies because they having to let go of their people. Yeah. So don't always try everything that you see. Yeah. Then I tried to get them to find their own voice. Being in this work, I am also a communicator. So I write a lot of the communications that come from the executive level. My previous company, I was the exclusive communicator for the CEO, for the C. OO and for the CHRO. So you have to really think about what is your voice and what's the message you're trying to get. Some companies really try to unfortunately go the performative route where they're like, oh, well, what's Target doing? Okay, Target did this, so let me do that too. Target's a whole nother beast. Target been operating in this this pathway for a long time. DEI is not an initiative that can come along and go overnight. It may not be your comp, your employee base may not be interested in all the glamour. You know, a lot of companies don't need to make everything so in your face. Employees just want to be heard. Yeah. And so I really try to understand the company and the employees 
and the executives before delivering anything. And I always go with, now we've heard the sandwich approach when it comes to feedback. That's a piece of poo. Don't do that. (laughs) But when it comes to DEI, the sandwich approach works. Okay. The bottom layer is your employees, your individual contributors. What are you doing for your individual contributors? The top layer is your executives. What are you doing at the executive level? What are the tactics, the strategy that you're utilizing? And then the most important layer is your middle level of managers, directors, and supervisors. Because they are the ones that are actually driving. They know enough about the bottom layer and the top layer to really believe and make things happen. And so I believe in the sandwich method when it comes to delivering a DEI strategy. A lot of companies don't want to do that. Because they don't want to stick their unfortunate little necks out and say, ooh, oh, I'm feeling squishy today. Yeah. And they don't want to be vulnerable or, they don't or release be vulnerable. that like, power or whatever exactly. perceived power to them. Which know? is unfortunately a dominant culture characteristic. Yeah. You know, we've been raised on that. We want to focus on the numbers, mm-hmm. the metrics. Is it bringing in the money? Trust me, you focus on your people, the money's going to come. Attention web developers, Techlahoma is proud to present the 200OK Tulsa Web Developer Conference on May 12th at the Holberton School Tulsa, the must-attend event of the year for anyone in the field. This one-day conference features informative talks from leading experts in web development, design, and user experience. Learn the latest trends and techniques that will help you stay ahead of the curve and connect with other professionals in the industry. The conference is perfect for developers at any level, whether you're just starting out or have years of experience. You'll gain valuable insights that you can immediately apply to your work and career. And best of all, you'll be part of a vibrant community of developers who share your passion for web development. Don't wait. Register now at 200ok.us. That's 200ok.us. And join Techlahoma on May 12th at Holberton School Tulsa for an unforgettable day of learning and networking. We'll see you there. Yeah, I oh, I love I love that we ended like kind of on that note with this conversation because it really is like the backbone of a lot of DEI strategy that I've heard of over the past couple of years, which I think is really interesting just thinking about when I approached the job market. DEI was, it felt like a larger conversation and was on on trend too. But if I had entered the job market maybe 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, Mm-mm. they might have said diversity and that, or maybe not. You and know, they would have told your little beautiful queer behind <laughs> to go back and figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Even though you've taken the time to understand who you are, what you want and what you need in a corporation. Yeah. They would have told you that you didn't. Yeah. Or, like, or it wouldn't have been a, a place where I felt comfortable expressing my identities. I don't know if I would have been comfortable letting my manager know that I'm queer. And like the fact that someone that I interact with on a daily basis is not, I wouldn't feel comfortable letting them know that information just baffles me. And so, and obviously that is a, you know, for me, I guess more of a hidden, not a hidden identity, but an identity that I can choose to hide. I am not going going to, but for folks like for folks of color and people of color for black folks, like that is just not an option. No. Um, And by any means. And I think where, dominant culture was for a while or and this is just a gross generalization but it just felt like companies when they heard diversity they just meant that they needed to hit a quota of the number type of thing for how many people of color they have how many women they have yep. and i think we've advanced a lot more especially in conversations that you know in Tulsa has had about DEI and and other companies that we've kind of helped get their strategy started it has expanded way beyond 
you know, just numbers and diversity of uh, physical appearance. Correct. I, I call it visible diversity. Yes. Every time, every time in a biz, well, not every time, because I'm tired, <laughs> so I don't always educate folks, but people are are generally talking about visible diversity. Yeah. Can you see someone's color? Can you see someone's neurodivergence? Can you see their their spectrum on the homosexual scale? Can yeah. you see their gender identity? If if those are not visible, then they're not really interested. Yeah. To just to be clear with you, I didn't come out at work until 2020. Wow. The right before COVID, all of my coworkers at the the corporation I work at had no idea that I was an equal opportunity employer. Um, wow. And the first time that I actively came and said anything was 2020 um, before I left my my previous. And then when I joined this, the last one, I, came, I, I officially came out. I was wow. like, listen, y'all going to get all these points. <laughs> y'all going to get all these points. <laughs> What's so interesting, this is a weird example, but I feel like... Um, the reason that you might have done that is because it could potentially be dangerous, That's especially right. for your job security. I know that for maybe not for a fact, I have seen that women um, who are able to get pregnant also like hide that for a really long time out of fear. Yep. And so it's like, imagine that we are hi- you're hiding like a something that is so natural to you, a human trait that belongs to you. And that is all of whatever, all of those things. And you, you're so scared to hide it because you don't want to lose your job. Like, it it just sounds... It's so funny me. that we have one more topic to cover and this is where we're going because that's exactly what it is. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, let's talk about it because I, I, and I, I, I've really enjoyed where we've gone with this so far. But yeah, let's talk more about uh, your background in DEI and how that shows up in your work today. One of the topics that I know you're passionate about is the notion of, of assimilation versus acclimation in the work environment. How do you discuss this with your executives at the top? Everyone in the sandwich, you know, how do you discuss this with the leaders? Let the record show that I took a deep breath and rolled my eyes because, (laughs) listen, when you say that I am passionate about this topic, it it actually gets me going more than like talking about race. When it comes to needing to talk about race in the workplace, I usually bring in a third party. But when it comes to assimilation versus acclimation, so I'm going to read a little bit from my notes because I want it to be clear on def- defining these words. Yeah. So assimilation, it's where the marginalized population is meant to mimic, resemble, or embody society norms or majority culture, whether it be fully or partially. So really shooting for a more homogenous mm-hmm. zone than a diverse society. Not so great. Not so great. Acclimation. Uh, and I found some really great tools about acclimation. So anyone listening, go to eddy.com, E-D-D-Y.com. They are an HR encyclopedia site, and they have all kinds of tips on acclimating. Love it. Acclimating is more focused on the individual, not the group that they, quote unquote, may fit in or the box that they may check. Mm-hmm. Making sure that their knowledge and that their environment leads them to a place of safety. So you may see this in your onboarding. You may see this in your team meetings, who the people, the new employees are introduced to. Um, it's what do does an employee need to be successful, not 
what has historically been successful yeah. or what is the one right way. Because I've, as I've already stated, the one right way is a U.S. dominant culture characteristic. Um, and in some presentations, you'll hear me say white culture, dominant culture characteristics. Yeah. But we try not to trigger everybody, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this topic is so important to me because a lot of leaders and even a lot of recruiters, a lot of HR folks focus on assimilation yeah. versus acclimation. Great example. I was talking to a Tulsa leader and totally love it. Totally. They're down to get people jobs. But where they messed up was telling me that they really try to get the people in their market to assimilate. And people will use that word. As and they use positive. that word <laughs> as positive, not knowing who they was talking to. Yeah. I said, my sister, my sister, <laughs> let me tell you something. Assimilate is a long curse word. Yeah. When you are telling someone they have to assimilate, you are telling them to release all things of themselves. So when they come in contact with people like me or other people that may be helping them get jobs, specifically in this small Tulsa market, they are confused yeah. and thus they give up. Because why? What does it what does it matter if one person that is presenting as you tell them that this is the only way and then my little colorful leopard wearing print wearing come in here and tell them be you show up as you mm -hmm. but understand how your brand fits into the brand that you're going to represent that's too confusing too, yeah it's two completely different notions yeah. honestly and i told them you know they, they brought up experiences like when people are going to interviews telling them what to wear mm -hmm. i don't do that because Unless you're wearing a uniform for that job, yeah, for that job, you should be able to wear what your heart desires. Yeah, there are parameters, there are dress codes, but you can still find yourself in that space. Yes, and so I gave them a little culture uh, speech about assimilation versus acclimation, and I said instead, help someone find their way into that space. And because of the the population that we serve in Tulsa. We own this. Yeah. In Tulsa has a great impact, a great influence on the companies that are coming here. Mm -hmm. um, Build in Tulsa has a great influence. All of these organizations have all this influence. We should be talking to these companies and saying, here are the standards. Yeah. Here's what we're doing. Now, our people coming to you, you get yourself ready because assimilation is not healthy. No. Stripping away any part of someone's identity inhibits their innovation, which inhibits their productivity. And the purpose of inclusion is to maximize someone's contribution and their pro productivity. Ooh, mic drop. Honestly, it's so good. I, I have so many things to say about this because I am... I'm, you're sharing your passion with me and it's lighting me up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah, because I mean, just from my experience, just just dissecting the definitions first off, assimilation is what, you know, I, I'm a Native American studies major and I'm an a indigenous person myself. As it, like you said, it is a long cuss word. Like you do not want to assimilate. That is, you don't want to as assimilate for 
just because someone told you to. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. if you have a choice to assimilate or not assimilate, you're going to choose not to Mm -hmm. because you know, historically, there were there were societies and groups of people that did not have the choice right. whether or not to assimilate. It will and, tear down your mental health. Exactly. And we can't be in one breath talking about company wellness, talking about self-care, but mm-hmm. then also telling you you can't paint your fingernails. Yeah. Because you happen to be male. Yeah. What? No, it, it, it makes no literally sense. no sense. And so on the other hand, like acclimation, like I, I love the definition that you gave for that too. And, and, and the examples, like the example of I don't I, I think you said it like this, but um, you know, who they get introduced to in the company, who they uh know is like and 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 therefore I guess who what other identities do they see represented in those people? Um that that's just so I I, I hate to sound like some boiling it down. It's so important. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> it's important. so important. And it's really not that difficult if you Get to know people, you will get to tap into those pieces. Um, my master's is in psychology. So you get to tap into those pieces that allow you to have maximum innovation. Yeah. And bringing someone's psychological safety into the zone through acclimation instead of assimilation is way more impactful. I'll tell you this. You ask me to strip away my, any part of my identity— I'm done for the day. Yeah. Like, I don't know how to go back to work. You know, I, yeah. and, and if you're thinking about that in man hours, you're thinking about how much it costs to have me working for you, but I'm actually not producing yeah. for eight hours because you've come against my identities. Yeah. That's not healthy. The safety part is so that I love that word and that framing device because it is so important. I mean, there's like that's that's what was relating truly to the, the whole um, analogy with the pregnant woman and for job security mm-hmm. as a concept. But um, it, it's your psychological safety in so many ways. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable going to work, then you're either going to A, leave that job or B, you're going to go to that job and not do the hardest work that you can do because they don't deserve it. It's called disengaged employees that come to work that don't really work. Yeah. There's a lovely book that I I read uh, when I first started my my studies was called I Quit but forgot to tell you. (laughs) Quiet quitting. It's a great (laughs) book that is way more prevalent now. Yeah. No, it's I, it's uh, this conversation so good because I <laughs> I just really do find the I wonder I'm sure there's there's studies in psychology about it and everything, but just looking at um, the generational divide between this two and and because I I don't know a lot of people like to group me in with Gen Z and mm-hmm. I'm sure people people will say that that's for true and whatever, but I don't really think that I am Gen Z. I don't know. I'm in that weird (laughs) cussy, whatever. But I would like to imagine a world and a workplace and a work environment going forward that is going to have all of the things that I have had. um, You know, I've been really blessed to have it in Tulsa. um, And and I hope to see that in every job that I have going forward. The sad thing is that reality and you know, just seeing um, my peers go through different situations, mm-hmm. it is only further solidifying that that is just not going to happen Mm-mm. per se. And especially if I change industries, yeah, it's even Ooh. more at risk. Listen, because I said when I first met you, you got a good gift for your first job. Yeah, you got a real good gift for your I, first job. I believe it. And yeah. and I, for my for my folks that are in other industries that are still, you know, um, 
you there is there is hope i hate to be the person that's trying to tell you to be hopeful but there really is um at least something that i find valuable in um you know what's my role in dei yeah and what's my role in um you know, solidifying the company's culture. That that was another thing I wanted to put a pin in culture. Yeah. Um, what is my role in that is that I can be the person that helps someone else feel acclimated. That's right. I can, or I could be the person that tries to tell someone to assimilate. And that, that's not me. That's mm-hmm. not who I am mm-hmm. because I wouldn't you want decide. it. Ref- yes. yes. I would not want that reflected back. But going back to culture, I think that a lot of people confuse and and maybe this is a corporate uh America like concept, but a lot of people want people to assimilate to the culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and when, especially folks in hiring, you know, some people will get passed on in a hiring process because we don't see the way that you have yeah. fit in our culture. You're not a cultural fit, which before I even finished my studies and my research, I knew that that was undercover discrimination. Yep. Because how is a, a, a test? telling you how I am going to act. Mm-hmm. Now, I like I said, my studies are in psychology and we do believe in perceived behavior and we do believe in predicted behavior. Mm-hmm. However, those have to come with a grain of salt. They have to be put into the hands of someone with the ability to see this and use that to inform, but not to completely decide what is or isn't with this person. Yeah. And I I love using the word culture because I try to, it's like when your mama used to put stuff on the veggies so that you would eat them, but you still eating the veggies. <laughs> I do that with my DEI work. Yeah. So I try and find words that are commonly acceptable, societal norms, and then throw some DEI in it. Yeah. So instead of talking about DEI, I usually talk about developing your company's culture because that is a word that our CEOs and executives accept and they understand for some crazy reason. Yeah. And the same thing with engagement and inclusion. One of the workshops that I do is engage, engagement versus inclusion. And when you look at the factors that determine an engaged workforce and the factors that include um, that display is inclusion present five out of the seven are the exact same yeah so it's like I those are things that I try to do to make it more and we DEI hates this word palatable palatable yeah but we should try to make it more palatable so that we can get some unity and actually get some growth happening yeah because I think I think DEI hates the word palatable and I'm just going to say it because you that creates the assumption that the culture was racist or the culture of the company was, you know, misogynistic and not inclusive. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be labeled as any of those things. So it's just. Yeah, you uh, do not want to trigger the white fragility, um, which is a great book. <laughs> if anyone has not ooh. read it, ooh, white fragility blessed my little multiracial heart (laughs) um the last five chapters of that book or the at least the last three chapters of that book she really gets into it yeah and it's and it's written by a white woman but a white woman that has committed her facilitation career to culture building yeah and to diversity and inclusion work 
And man, it's a good book. Yeah, it, so- it sounds awesome. It is. Um, Jazzy, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, we could sit here and just, these are the conversations we need to be having. Yeah, no, it's it's so important. Um, I hope that anyone listening to this um, gets, you know, it interested, excited, curious. Um, these are the words that are, and, and the feelings that I want to inspire from this conversation because um, I don't think that there's a perfect way to do it. I, mm-hmm. I And I think that the whole point of this work, like you said, is to not um, do too much <laughs> at once type mm-hmm. of thing. Being able to find that piecemeal um, and especially for the companies, but for yourself, you know, understanding how you fit into DEI is is a really important part for um, you as a as a person in society in a lot of ways. How are you going to help people acclimate versus assimilate? That's that's something that I hope people ponder from yeah. this. Amen. So, Jazzy, tell us one one last question for you. What's some What's a way that people can stay in touch with you or your work or your community that you're building? Um, your resources, anything, anything you want to plug. So uh, plugging is happening. I am available on Instagram at sweet underscore T underscore quests. Um, I am available also on LinkedIn by using my current government. Well, actually, my government name is a lot longer, but my, my name on LinkedIn is Jasmine Toby. My actual name is Jasmine Marie Lewis Bivar Toby. Um, And I am working on a secret project, um, and it is a secret society, and it will be all about this kind of work. Oh, I love that. But essentially, participants get the opportunity to come in. They all have to sign an NDA, and what happens stays in the room. Oh. Yeah. It's okay. great stuff. I love a secret yeah. society. <laughs> oh, and I'm speaking. I'm so excited. I forgot to say I'm speaking at OKHR. It's amazing. In April. Super happy about that. And I got three other speaking engagements this year, but that one I'm like super pressed That's about. so exciting. We'll we'll make sure to coordinate that and put it in the show notes and stuff. Cool. That's so exciting. Thank you. Um, Jazzy, thank you so much. I yes, really appreciate it. thank you for it. inviting me and continually pestering me to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked. It did. <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on this episode of Grow With Us. For our listeners of Grow With Us looking for new opportunities, please join our talent network to stay in touch with our featured jobs and opportunities at Intulsa. You can visit our website, talent.intulsa.com. That's talent.intulsa.com. By joining our talent network, you will get access to our newsletter where you can stay up to date with our latest career advice, featured opportunities with Intulsa partner companies, and our placement success stories. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to be notified when more episodes of Grow With Us are released. Let us know what you think about how we're doing by rating and reviewing. Huge thank you to our editors at Rant9 Production and Jesse Ulrich. This has been Grow With Us. Grow With Us.